Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Erica. Hi, Katie. Welcome to Book Talk. Book Talk is your weekly podcast book club. We are in the third section of Jessamine Chan's The School for Good Mothers. In this section, things get progressively worse at the school as the moms learn to take care of their fake robotic children and the rules are getting more strict by the day. Frida hasn't talked to Harriet in over nine weeks now. She forgets to call her mommy. She started referring to Susanna, her stepmom, as Mommy Susu, much to Frida's dismay. The simulations at the school are getting extremely stressful and the further they get away from their real kids, the worse it gets. One mom is led to commit suicide, and the others seek comfort and a little romance with each other. Towards the end of the section, we see the moms commingle with the bad dad school and start to form some relationships, including Frida, as much as she tries to avoid it. We meet Tucker, and so far, I think he seems like a good-ish guy. So a lot happened in this section. Yet you didn't like it? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Well, it's not that I didn't... (laughs) Oops, I forgot that I wrote my thoughts down so you can just read them. <laughs> um, I didn't love this section as the as much as the other ones. It seemed kind of repetitive to me. I felt like I get it. The school is awful. These simulations are awful. The fake kids are hard to take care of. They have extremely unrealistic expectations for these moms that aren't based in reality. And I feel like I was watching that movie on repeat for a lot of this section. I didn't mind this section. We're clearly in the like rising climax of the book. Like things are just getting worse and worse and worse. And we have lots of little cues that the standards that they've set for these moms are impossible. They're just fully impossible to meet. There seems to be no way that almost any mom is going to pass these standards. It does seem like everyone's prognosis is poor because of the standards for sure. Yeah, I mean, they're looking at their physiology, their hormone levels, their brain waves, the way that they are acting at all times and then setting up these impossible tasks like showing them videos of their children, their real children, and trying to combat their feelings for their real children with the robot children. And that just doesn't make any sense to me. Like, of course, they should be prioritizing their actual children. I thought that part was so crazy. You were trying to get them to be a good mom to their alive human children by teaching them all of these skills. So in theory, I understand what you're trying to do. But showing them videos of their real children is actually just torture because how are they supposed to learn to shut off that emotional feeling they see when they or they feel when they see their kids to take care of this robot child? I feel like you're teaching them exactly what you're trying to break the habit of. Right. They're also so bonded with their children, their robot children. So Emmanuel, that's her daughter's name, right? Yeah. Frida and Emmanuel have like a pretty serious bond. And we even see her going farther with Emmanuel than she ever planned by telling her, I love you galaxies, which is what she thought she was going to reserve for Harriet. And then says to her fake daughter, who is now much more of a real daughter, because she spent so much time with her all day, every day, learning to be attentive to all of her needs. Is this just a government that's corrupt and trying to hurt these moms? Like, I don't understand what the point is. They're never going to pass this and become good moms to their human children again. Maybe they they would still be good moms to their human children, but they're not going to, like, change who they are. They're faking it to pass a test to get through the program. Well, I think that's what Jessamine is saying. 
Got it. Is that that's what I'm asking? I <laughs> the guess. standards that we hold moms to are impossible to meet, and the this is also a question about surveillance and to what degree how we all look under a microscope because no one could live up to this even the moms who are not in the camp it's just like if and so it's first like the role of surveillance and our expectations of like observing every single interaction and every single look and every hug and every word that you say quantifying the number of new words that you provide for your child like no one is going to keep up with that impossibility every day all day long and then also where where do we get these standards from so Frida, being raised by Chinese parents, was raised in a certain style in this like white culture. So she was having unique experiences. And then they're trying to tell her, like there's the the one um, admin lady who tells her that she may have been raised in a different culture where you can do that. But here, like in America, we don't shame people, which is like hilarious. Because of course we do. But she's shaming her as she's saying, we don't shame people here. Yes, all she's literally hope. shaming her for how she for how she's raising her child. There was a couple of times when I thought about this, the different cultures that they're raising children in. And now we're like, you can only raise them in this American culture that we have idealized. Um, especially like in the only American meals and learning how to cook in this certain amount of time. So much of it is unrealistic. I guess this is what I'm saying, though. I feel like from the very beginning, I had felt like, yes, these are unrealistic expectations. What they're expecting these moms to do is crazy. Also, when they were, like, changing the diapers, they're putting them down for a nap. Every two hours on the dot, they're waking up to do it again. The dolls are becoming – I mean, they're having, like, a diaper rash. It's just traumatic for everybody involved in the situation. This is kind of what I was saying. I think that the entire time this is what we've been thinking. These expectations are unrealistic. These simulations are traumatic and they are torture for these moms. So I don't see a way for anyone to be successful. But maybe you're right. The part that we're coming to is can anyone be successful? Because in the first two sections, it seemed like there was still hope. It seemed like they were still meeting some standards. And now it feels like those standards, the bar just keeps moving higher and they can't reach it. When she loses her phone privileges, she does everything perfectly. She's like, I'm going to get them back. And they're like, actually, we need one more week. So I feel like they're moving the goalposts every time they do something good. And I wonder to what extent that's going to happen. Personally, I didn't mind this section because I think Jessamine is doing a good job of layering parts of the plot on top of each other. So we start with the moms, with this core set of people and what they're struggling with. Then we add on top of it like these subsequent lessons that are getting harder and harder and more complex and more difficult. And now we're adding a new character. So now we have the fathers. We see what they're experiencing, which is we can talk about. And we also end with this. Now we're trying to educate the kids about race and racial differences. And these kids are behaving in a way that is really horrible and calling each other slurs. So I think she's doing a good job of layering different things on top of each other. And in this section, I appreciated the discussion of loneliness and our need for connection and relationships that they didn't anticipate. They clearly are punishing any of the women who have formed relationships. And then they're adding the men in as almost like a dare or a taunt when these women have been alone and struggling and devoid of intimacy and romantic touch. And now they're like throwing it back in their faces. So I feel like that was a lot more thought out in this section. And also Frida is reflecting on how she felt when she was really lonely versus how she feels now that she has this 
time to think about a potential relationship in the future. So it is giving her hope, this relationship. And she's definitely less suicidal and violent, which is good. Right. I was thinking about that at the end, how just this little dose of human interaction, they talk about like the hand on someone's cheek, a lo- like an extended glance, these small things, how just this small amount of human interaction or attention or somebody noticing you as a person, not just as what you can do as a mom to this fake robot, but actually seeing you, how much that little bit of love can affect your whole mindset, how Frida is, yeah, she is hoping again. She's not suicidal. She's not thinking about it. Tucker is bringing that out in her. So that's good to see, but I wonder if she's probably going to be punished for any part of her that is remotely distracted from her robot daughter by being a human and being somebody who's not just identified as being a mom. So in this section, at the end of it, we get to meet the bad dads. I don't know if that's what they're called, but that's what I'm calling them now. What did you think about them commingling with the dads and kind of the comparison between what the dads are going through and what these moms are going through? I loved this part. I thought it was so funny because we as women reading this book. So I think Jessamine knew the majority of the audience reading this book would be women. And we already know and are anticipating that the men's camp is going to be completely different and the standards are going to be way lower than what the women have to deal with. And so in <laughs> anticipating that, she also writes that the women also expect this. Like they're not surprised at all to learn that the men have phone no. privileges every week and they have different uh. mantras and they have different like patterns and all these things and they have different techniques that they're learning about like calming aggression rather than healing a wound or taking care of them when they're sick but I loved the difference in what they say so Frida says I'm a narcissist I am a danger to my child that is like what we think of as a bad mom someone who would think who would dare to think of herself before her child in at at a single point in her time at all And what Tucker says is, I'm a father learning to be a better man. The contrast in those two mantras was, is crazy. They're just, and (laughs) earlier when they talked about not shaming them, all they're doing is shaming these moms and being like, make sure at every single second you say that you are not worthy. You are a bad mom. And I thought the parallels between that and current society were, were really well done. Yeah. The dads are like, I'm doing the best that I can. And they're being rewarded for it with way more privileges and than these moms are. I do like Tucker, though. I think he's giving Frida some hope. I think if I have to guess, these hopes will be dashed. I do not think this is going to end well. He, We end this section with him saying, we're going to get them back. Yeah, so and as I soon as just... he said that, I'm like, okay, so we're not getting them back. Okay, you so, end that... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's it for us. These kids are not coming home. Oh, But also maybe... I feel like at the end of the day, these dads are going to have more success in getting their kids back than the moms. Well, they're already rated as uh, doing better. I think that he said only a couple had had poor, like most of them are doing well in the program. I, yes, my predictions for the end are that we are not going to be reuniting Frida and Harriet, although I wish, but I think something's going to happen. There's threads that are throughout that I think are going to come back. So Gust and Susanna are making choices with Harriet. They're making choices about her diet. They're piercing her ears. They're dressing her in a certain way. They are taking her on spontaneous trips. Like I just feel like something's going to happen with them. Maybe it'll like swap so she'll get Harriet back. But like Gust and Susanna are going into these camps or something dark like that. 
The other thread is the dolls are losing their minds and they seem to be out of no one who is in this program seems to be able to predict what the dolls are going to do. And I think they have developed a lot of strangeness and a lot of communion between themselves. And I could see this becoming like Animal Farm, like the dolls take over and wrestle power back or refuse to leave their parents because they're very bonded to each other. They definitely did not anticipate that level of bonding. I think it would be interesting to see what the dolls do at the end. I agree, though. They're way too bonded. Even when they go to sleep or they aren't with the moms for a minute, they remember them. They've formed this bond. And I think it's also a thread or a conversation about technology we're creating and how it can overpower what we thought it was capable of. What do you do? You have any other guesses about the ending? I think that you're right that she's not going to get Harriet back, and I already hate that for us in this ending. I kind of hope something happens that gets a little bit of justice at the end, like Gus and Susanna are held accountable for the choices that they're making. And Susanna is acting every bit of a mom and is not being held to the same standards as Frida. So I hope we get some sort of that is resolved in some way at the end and that Gus is also held responsible for not including Frida or for how he has acted in this whole co-parenting relationship instead of it just being her. Um, I hope that it ends better than what you're predicting, which is that neither her nor Tucker gets the kids back and she never sees Harriet again. I think it could still be a good conversation on the unrealistic expectations we hold over moms and on what technology is surveillance technology, et cetera. But I think that would be a really sad way to end it. And I kind of hope she gets Harriet back. But maybe she gets Harriet back and she's not the same person. She's not the same mom. She's maybe a worse mom because of it or maybe – I don't know. I don't think it's going to end with her being the world's best mom when she gets home. But I wish. Somebody did message me as I started reading this book. They're like, I hate Frida, but I just want to give her a hug. So I think we're all still rooting for her. I hope. I'm rooting for her. I find her very empathetic. Mm -hmm. I get the anxious, neurotic. This is – I think Frida is like my biggest fear is that you're you were parented in a certain way you say I'm not going to be like that I'm going to be like the warmest mom ever and yet you were raised in a specific type of environment you're also focused on your career going through hard things dealing with mental illness and then you have a child and they tell you like you do not have the capacity to love the child true nightmare yeah I think all that is really hard because it's so true in those cycles can repeat but also again I just go back to like nothing Frida's I mean Frida had a very bad day yes and we should support moms more and I wish she would have reached out and we can learn lessons from that but I don't think Frida is a quote-unquote bad mom who's you know can't be can't learn from that mistake and not do it again can't not leave Harriet again I feel like she's remorseful and learned her lesson a hundred times over and I think that it's just sad to watch us try to quantify through this book what it means to be a mom and who deserves to be a mom there is the section where Frida, they're telling her she's not a good mom. Maybe Harriet would be better off being parented by somebody else, which is extremely heartbreaking. And Frida's like, but I'm already her mom. And that speaks, I think, to the bonds that moms have and why so many situations, like even in foster care when kids are taken from their moms, the whole goal is to support and reu- support the mom and reunite the kids with their biological parents because it's just what's best for the kid. Right. The assumption is also that every child needs to be parented in the same way. Right. Exactly. In this way that you can quantify, in this way that you can set benchmarks, and that's the only way they'll be successful. And it's the kids are all different, and the moms are all different, and the circumstances are all different, and the neighborhoods in which their kids walk home from school are all different. And there's just no nuance at all in 
the punishment these moms are receiving or in the expectations they're holding for them. One touch that I loved in this section is I keep forgetting little things and Jessamine is just so good. I just think she's such a good writer. So they eat this like weird, they only eat like the blue goo stuff. So they had blue hot dogs, which at first I was like, wait, why are the hot dogs blue? That's so, is it like a patriotic thing? And then, <laughs> then I remembered, oh yeah, because they don't eat real food. And then they have like blue around their mouths from like eat, you know how little kids always yeah. have like crap on their face. I just yes. thought it's such a small detail, but it just makes the world seem so much more real. One other thing that I thought was, yeah, one other thing I thought was shocking in this section, Frida has kind of two revelations. One is that they've decided the moms can no longer quit. They can no longer leave on their own volition, which to get to the point when you were going to leave, you'd have to accept that you were not going to get your kid back and that you're going to find a lifelong registry. So it already was not a decision to be made lightly, but now they have taken that away. So they are truly in what feels more and more like a prison every day. And the other part, and they keep saying that's because you can't quit real life, right? You can't quit being a mom. But the whole point of this is that we should support moms more so they're not doing it by themselves and that they can quit for a second. They can take a breath. They can get frustrated. They can need a break and get the break from their support systems around them and not that we expect them to be on and perfect 24-7. The other revelation Frida has that's related to that is that they're training them to be stay-at-home moms. So they're Someone else, she says at one point, like someone else has to get the money. So maybe that makes sense why she needs a partner. And there's no way that they could do this. They could meet these expectations and also be moms who have careers or a life outside of it. So has society now kind of reverted back to these in order to be a successful mom or to meet their standards? You have to be a stay-at-home mom who never needs a break, a, you know, a Stepford wife, I guess, but in the mom version. Right. We're definitely Stepford mom. Stepford. Yeah. This is the Stepford mom book. Basically. Yes, it is. When you need these absolutely perfect moms. Ugh. It's funny that the mom that's doing the best is Linda. Why do you think that is, though? I don't know. I guess she just naturally has the traits that they associate with a mom. She's also got a lot of experience because she had six kids, right? Five, yeah. Right. Yeah. So she's got a lot of experience, like soothing kids. I do think some people are just really good at okay let me say it this way <laughs> so Oprah has talked about why she's not a mom and she's just like I'm not like a little kid person like I'm good at like teenage onward and so like she does like a lot of mentoring and things like that but she's like I just know I'm not like a baby person and I think some people are really good at connecting with like babies little teeny kids and like helping them at that stage other people are better at like the preteen stage some people are really good at like providing advice to high schoolers and college students and like those are not the same skills so linda just seems to have that like motherly touch somehow for little kids right and that's i think also because she has a bunch of them and probably has some good role models and what that looks like and soothing as well i think what's crazy is they're making these moms yes people are good at different phases of a kid's life and i think when you have multiple people who love and support your kid you can have people who have different strengths that will help your kid be more well-rounded and loved throughout their life but they're making these moms kind of hit all of these benchmarks in such a short period of time like not only do you have to be able to soothe them and change their diapers but you have to be able to have conversations about what race means and what their place in society is and about all of these different things and you need to do it all in a year which is as we talked about a time when you would never do but these different skills are 
not really weighted the same and can't be, you can't be successful at them at the same age these dolls are. Like maybe Frida would be a really good mom to a teenager. We'll never know because she's only given the chance to be a good mom to this smaller child and she's not succeeding at that. But who knows what kind of mom she would grow into being as somebody who's really great at raising teenagers, but maybe wasn't great at this phase. Yep. It's so one dimensional. I hate it. I hate this school. I hate these people. I hate it, but I also think we do this to moms. That we have, we like, we perform these judgments and make, we have a lot of stigma for moms. And this is what she's like playing on. No, totally. I feel like this is what I was saying in the beginning. I get that. I feel like that's exactly what she's saying is that we put unrealistic expectations on moms, especially compared to dads and especially with all the other expectations that society puts on women in general. So we need to fix it. But I'm like, how is this How is this plot going to end? I think this is where I keep coming back to. I get that point. I'm here for that. I understand these unrealistic expectations. I I don't know how she's going to resolve this current story and these plot points we're reading about. And that's – I can't wait to read the end of this book and figure it out because I really can't predict how we're going to wrap this up, and I hope it doesn't just break my heart only. I hope there's some justice. If this is the first time you're joining us with this book for the book club read, what we do is we finish the book club, then we'll do a one-off special episode about a book that we've read recently that we really love or that we really hate that we really want to talk about. So that will come out after this season ends. Then we'll take a week off where we start reading our next book club book. So we announce it today so that you have plenty of time to get your copy either from the library, from a local bookstore, or from bookshop.org. So our next book is We Are Reading Honor by Thridi Umargar. This is a novel about an Indian-American journalist, Smita, who has returned to India to cover a story reluctantly. Long ago, she and her family left the country with no intention of ever returning. She's following the case of Mina, a Hindu woman who was attacked by members of her own village and her own family for marrying a Muslim man and comes face-to-face with society where tradition carries more weight than one's own heart. The dual love stories and honor are as different as the cultures of Mina and Smita themselves. This is a tender and evocative novel about love, hope, familial devotion, betrayal, and sacrifice. As we see two women trying to navigate how to be true to them homeland, their homelands and themselves. It's a long summary, and I am excited to read this story. I hope that we I hope that these dueling stories, these dueling stories of family and love, um, are a little bit more balanced for you as well than the last time we read a book like this. Well, you know, if they're not, I will be discussing it. We'll have some thoughts and I'll be. (laughs) You will be desperately uh, defending it. 100%. Yeah. You know, I love a dueling story where they're not even and you know, that's what you hate. So it's going to either be really good or it's going to be really interesting as we debate it. (laughs) Next week, we are finishing the School for Good Mothers and we are going to be joined by the most special guest of all. Jessamine Chan will be here, the author of the book, to answer all of our burning questions and to talk about the themes and the ending of the School for Good Mothers. See you then.
I finally read a book that I loved. So I yay. read A Woman. <laughs> yay. I know. Big news in this house where we have not been loving books lately. I read A Woman is No Man by Itaf Ram. Um, it follows four generations of Palestinian American immigrants. Starts with mostly focused around the mom. Her storyline is a little bit more serious, but it directly affects her daughter. And you get to see her daughter kind of reckoning with that as she gets to know who her mom was through some letters, et cetera. This was one of the most powerful endings in a book that I've read in a really long time. It ends with, it's extremely heartbreaking and you know through the entire book how it's going to end, but I still feel like the way that she wrapped it up was extremely powerful, helpful, and courageous. And I would encourage you all to read it. Wow, a rave review. A rave review. It's been a while. Uh, It has been a minute. And then I also started, kind of against my will, reading (laughs) The Year of Rest and Relaxation by Otessa. Um, I say that because this is a book that Erica loves and an author that Erica loves. And every time you read me a synopsis of one of her books, I'm like, it sounds like I would hate it. (laughs) But I feel like I got to give her a chance. You've read three of her books this year already, right? Three of them? Mm -hmm. And I'm counting down the dates until her next book is released people already have advanced reader copies not us otessa are you listening so people have been posting that on tiktok and i'm upset i'm jealous so i figured i might as well read one of her books and the least traumatic one seems to be the year of rest and relaxation so um it's more thoughts coming at you it's called my year of of rest and relaxation so sorry that i messed that up but um my year of rest and relaxation and you know what that fits with this narcissistic narrator of course it's called my year of rest and relaxation oh 100 percent. i already hate this chick but i'm excited to see where this book goes (laughs) she is incredibly hateable but Mm -hmm. she's funny she is kind of funny but i just She's also kind of mean. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. You know, she's a horrible person. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. More thoughts to come on this for sure. I read a book. You well, did? Okay. So I'm reading two books. Or, well, I'm reading lots of books at, per usual. Yeah. I started reading The Paris Apartment by Lucy Foley. Oh my God. I just got that in my, yeah, I just got that as well. That's so it's weird. It's boring. Really? It's like a murder mystery book, but there's it okay. It's a murder mystery book. The beginning is setting the stage where she shows up to the apartment and she's meeting all the characters who live in the different apartments. But it's sort of just like a, a who done it, it feels like, without any character development or interesting kind of background. So I'm just not motivated to keep reading it even the main character it's her and her half-brother and you're just like I don't really care about them I want to care about them I want to learn more about their stories but she doesn't really get too much into it and so I what I've basically heard is yeah it's just like lots of twists and turns and sort of like what's going to happen but I need more which isn't really your type of book you like a character development story or something where you get to know them as people and this is definitely going to be just like a traditional murder mystery where yeah you're just trying to figure it out which is a just for fun book which you know is a place for us well we don't even know if it is a murder because we just don't know where her brother is she's trying to find him okay so just a mystery not necessarily a murder mystery at this point okay yeah i got it too so we will read it the other book that i did finish was the small backs of children by lydia luknovich very 
poignant to read this book now, given everything that's happening in Ukraine. So it's about this young girl whose family gets killed um, through violence in like an occupied Eastern European town that is unnamed. Okay. And she gets photographed at the moment this bomb explodes and kills her entire family. Oh, and the photographer is like in this network of other artists. So there's like a painter, a performance artist, a novelist. And it's sort of the way that this character, this girl reveals like the trauma that everybody else in this fam- in this friend group are experiencing. And the really cool part about this book is that each chapter is told from one of the different artists perspectives. So when it's the chapter from the playwright, it's written the way a playwright would write a scene. And when it's the novelist, it's all about writing. And then when it's the artist, it's all about how he's making a painting and how that is moving the plot forward. So it's very dark. And there's a lot of uh, like body stuff. So they're all like, you know, starving artists and they're all like sexual and violent. And they're like, oh, the night of lovemaking. There's like, spit and shit and piss and you're like ew (laughs) i don't love that and it's just like a lot there's always like saliva i'm like ew gross yeah i'm just like a germaphobe so that's just my problem but that's how i felt reading this first section of you and rest and relaxation she's like my toothpaste was crusted on the corner of my lips i was like that is disgusting please wipe your mouth um yeah so this book is a lot I thought it was good. I do not think this is like a book for everyone. You know what? I, that's becoming your tagline. Hi, this book was good, but it's not for everyone. <laughs> if it's for you, it's for you. And I, this is not for everyone. I would tailor this one to people who like, again, a dark book, who want to grapple with violence in a lot of different ways and who are into this like dark artist persona because that's all the main characters they're all like twisted artists but it was I liked it I thought it was an interesting time to read a book like that and about how like Americans just come here to like photograph this war-torn country and then they sort of like escape and profit off of the stories that they've taken I'm also reading Girlhood by Melissa Feebos it is a book of essays which not my favorite but it's sort of the idea of like what does it mean to be a woman how do we grow up these are like early life experiences that shape our relationship with being a woman and how that is created it's good so far it's also kind of dark (laughs) yeah we have a theme we have a theme you've got a type okay i'm gonna read a year of rest and relaxation and then figure out which book i want to I'm going to read my year of rest and relaxation and then I'm going to figure out which book I want to finish, either Somebody's Daughter or Under the Whispering Doors. So we will see. All right. Bye. Book Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week. <sighs> you feel stressful recording your first podcast with 300,000 views on your TikTok?
no, that's I I feel retroactively stressed that we recorded the first two episodes before we knew that. I agree. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do feel retroactively stressed. Like, what stupid stuff did I say? 